0: A reading from Jeremiah 17, 5 through 10. Thus says the Lord, Cursed are those who trust in mere mortals and make mere flesh their strength, whose hearts turn away from the Lord. They shall be like a shrub in the desert and shall not see when relief comes. They shall live in the parched places of the wilderness, in an uninhabited salt land. Blessed are those who trust in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. They shall be like a tree planted by water, sending out its roots by the stream. It shall not fear when heat comes and its leaves shall stay green. In the year of drought, it is not anxious and it does not cease to bear fruit. The heart is devious above all else. It is perverse. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, test the mind and search the heart to give to all according to their ways, according to the fruit of their doings. For the word of God among us, for the word of God in Scripture, For the word of God among us, for the word of God within us. Thanks be to God.
1: In the the Bible, sorry about that. I'll have a word with the editors next time. (laughs) Uh, Some of you know I'm a part of a clergy group that um, is Uh, just been such a source of support for me in these last few years we get together and talk about preaching about once a year and uh, in our gathering i think in 2020 as i was getting out of uh, the car to go home to the airport my friend trace said hey i think you would really get along with my friend tiffany she's the new dean at stanford and let me connect you and that was how we met and we had plans to have coffee in march 2020 and That ended up being a Zoom meeting. And uh, so we finally got to meet today, which I'm so thrilled about. And uh, Tiffany uh, is mom of two boys and she's been here at Stanford as the Dean uh, since 2019. So you've had an interesting two thirds of your time here. And uh, so one thing I really appreciated in our first conversation is I think this shared heart that our faith is both internal and external, that it's not just about justice and what we do in the world, but it's all about also about who we are and how we're being formed. And that was something I really heard from you the first time we spoke, and I just so appreciate um, what you bring to this world and the many places you are, and we're just so honored to have you with us this morning. So would you join me in welcoming Reverend Darkner's Tiffany Steinwart?
2: It is really a privilege and an honor to be in this space. Um, My role is as Dean for Religious and Spiritual Life, and it is not actually a preaching role. It is not a Christian role, it is a role to uh, facilitate and steward, guide, and nurture moral, ethical, religious, and spiritual life across campus. And so when I get to put on my clergy collar literally and figuratively and be in this space, it is an honor. So thank you for welcoming me so graciously. Will you pray with me? Gracious and loving God, we ask in this hour that you be in this space with us, that we perceive your presence around us, both in the words that we read and that we hear, the words that we speak and the words that we understand, the words that transform our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hopelessness and I have become good friends. In the difficult days that we are now facing, friends, hope feels hard to find, doesn't it? I wrote a litany of all of the places where hope was hard to find, and it made my heart feel a little tighter even still. I mean, think about it. Political polarization widens, and the specter of pandemic continues to shadow our lives. Two years, my goodness, two years it has been since we've actually been able to meet. As our climate changes catastrophically, and communities all around the world are drawing tighter and tighter boundaries, we are on the precipice of war in many places as racial and economic injustice grows, even more pernicious and sexism and misogyny seem even more present in our daily lives, as the light of our collective future seems dimmer and dimmer. Oh my goodness. I mean, really, to to come to you today and be asked to preach on hope? Hope, just any talk of hope today really and truly rings hollow. It does, it does. So hopelessness and I have become good friends. You feel like that sometimes? I do, but these are not my words. That quote is not my quote. The quote actually comes from activist and author Austin Channing Brown. In the final, chapter of her book, I'm Still Here, Black Dignity in a World Made for Whiteness, Channing Brown wrestles with this notion of hope, particularly in Christian communities, and in particular, in white Christian communities. These are the communities that I know best, the communities that I have served now for over two decades. But Channing Brown, as a black woman who spent Most of her career, working in predominantly white spaces, understood and knew that space differently than I do as a white woman. Her experience was different. She talks about in that book what it feels like to be surrounded by well-intentioned, well-meaning folks like myself, who more often than not, simply don't get it. I encourage you, if you have not yet read that book, I encourage you to go and buy it, buy it from her website, support her work, because it gives us a view that we often are not able to have on ourselves. And so I highly, highly encourage you, go buy her book. For Channing Brown, you see this hopelessness that had become her friend. This hopelessness arose as a result of her encounters and disappointments with white Christian communities. It is in these communities, like my community from which I come in the United Methodist Church, and maybe somewhat like your communities, that we tend to value love above all else, right? I mean, it's just, it's really great. I mean, it's the core of who we are, who doesn't like love. And so when hard things come and we are asked to face hard things, what is the answer? Love, right? It's like children, it's time and children's messages. They know that the answer is always Jesus, right? When the pastor asks them whatever the answer, they are always like, oh, the answer is Jesus, right? Um, Except for my child who answered his holiness, the Dalai Lama. But for the most part, we in our Christian communities, when confronted with something hard, we answer love because it really and truly that's the heart of the gospel that we preach, isn't it? But we do it in ways that become problematic. Channing Brown says that sometimes when we talk of love in this way, it can dissolve into what she says is a demand for grace or niceness or endless patience right that gradualism that king talked about right it's phrases sometimes that we use when we're we see hard things and we just don't know how to talk about them and so we say things like well if we could just learn to love one another that's true or we say love trumps hate and that's also true but what happens is that this language of love if we're not careful, softens that clarion call to justice that we just sang about in order to make it more palatable, more comfortable, right? We wanna talk about love. We don't really wanna talk about white supremacy, but we have to. Because if we don't, if we continue to mask the real problems of our world with these more palatable concepts of love and grace and patience, then we end up masking the fierce urgency of the day and minimizing the pain of those who face it day in and day out. Channing Brown talks about it as sometimes that we ask for these bite-sized educational opportunities that really don't transform anything. It makes us feel good because we've done it, but actually it hasn't transformed the experience of people of color in our midst. And it is in that context that I hear the words of Jeremiah ringing so true, cursed are those who trust in mere mortals. Cursed are those who trust in mere mortals. In many ways, Channing Brown's reflections on hope read as a modern-day companion to Jeremiah. Both prophetic reimaginings, trouble, contemporary conceit, and complacency born of a false pride in ourselves. The reading this morning from Jeremiah was written between two periods in the the time of the Israelites. It was written between the failure of King Josiah's uh, religious reforms they thought that they could change things by changing the laws, by writing different laws, they could change everything. The legislature, the Congress, the king, he was going to solve all their problems. Did not work. Failed. And this prophecy comes after that failure of this legislative reform, but before the Babylonian exile. The people had had a hope that this change in legislation this change in policy if you just do the right things right if you change how you live how you order your life then well things would be okay right but you can't legislate morality or justice really it helps let's let's not say it doesn't help it helps but it didn't work and the community They were still struggling. And on top of that, there were these whispers of war and an encroaching neighbor that was becoming more and more aggressive. It didn't look good for the people of Israel. The king tried. The people tried. They tried their best, but they failed time and time again. They failed to get it right. Indeed. Cursed are those who trust in mere mortals. What does it mean when the plans we make and the visions we dream fail to materialize? Has that ever happened to you or in your communities? What happens when our ways of repairing the world simply don't work? Here. Jeremiah, reminiscent of other wisdom literature, reflects on the ambivalence of human nature and how God responds to it. The vivid illustrations that we heard read so beautifully just a moment ago, they're drawn from nature and they clearly contrast the effects of these two lifestyles of where you place your hope, where you place your trust, right? Those who turn from God, who put their trust in mere mortals and themselves and that pull yourself up by your bootstraps kind of way that we here in America love so much. Well, what happens to them? They become stunted, hopeless, barren and lonely. But those who put their trust in something beyond themselves, in God, why they are well nourished and fruitful and able to withstand adversity. Now, I have a confession to make to you. When I first turned toward this text again, knowing that I would be preaching on it this Sunday, I was struck about how much I did not actually remember about the text. Now, this image of the tree planted by the water, I cannot tell you how many times I have preached on it. I love it. I sing it. It is so beautiful. When adversity comes, I say, folks, we are going to be like trees planted by the water, right? It is a go-to scripture for me. I was so excited that it's actually lectionary this week. Well, here's the thing. When I went back to the text, I had completely forgotten about the tree that withers, I had completely forgotten about the tree that withers. It was as if I had never read it before. And the lectionary, well, I mean, I've been a preacher over 20 years at lectionaries every three years, I have had to read it a lot. And I simply had put it out of mind. Why? I mean, maybe it's because I'm a relentless idealist about human potential. Maybe it's because I want to believe so much in the power that we possess to do anything. After all, so much of our cultural Christianity preaches a message of prosperity, doesn't it? Now, we in mainline churches look at prosperity gospels and other Christian traditions and we say, oh, that's not so good but really and truly in mainline Christianity, we just talk about prosperity in a different way. We talk about it as this move toward inevitable social progress, right? Same thing, as if we can bring it about ourselves. But maybe, maybe I had forgotten those verses because it's simply too hard, too difficult to confront our own places of failure. And God knows I have failed. Maybe it's easier to cling on to the hope of success than face the pain of failure. It's far more soothing to sing about the tree planted by the water than to witness the withering. The reality is that when we do that, we allow hope to die. Hope dies when we do not recognize our human failures and finitude. Right? When we believe that all things are possible through Christ, Usually what we're saying is all things are possible if we do it and get a committee and volunteer and make ourselves like, make it happen. But what happens when we believe all things are possible, we try our hardest and it doesn't work? What happens to our hope then? That's when it's easy to lose hope, isn't it? Channing Brown writes that the persistence of racism in America does not lay the best fertilizer for hope to grow in. Recounting the thousands of ways in which hope died for her, she lays bare the failures of good intentions to dismantle systemic justice. She wrote, I hoped a friend would get it, but hope died. I hoped an organization really wanted change, but hope died. I hoped racist policies would change, but hope died. I hoped history would stop repeating itself, but hope died. I hoped things would be better for my children, but hope died. Cursed are those who trust in mere mortals. This litany of the death of hope is hard to hear. I'm sure it's not why you came to church this Sunday. Uh, I apologize to you, Jenny. Uh, But here's the thing. I'm not saying anything here today that we don't already know. Because we've already experienced this, haven't we? In our own lives and in so many ways. I mean, friends, for better or for worse, we are all profoundly human. And that means that we are finite, limited, and often broken. My students at Stanford don't like to hear me say this, but friends, we are going to fail. We are. It's just how we were created to be. And that's not bad. I mean, deep in our bones, we know this, whether we have been the ones who've been disappointed, are the ones who disappointed. Cursed are those who trust in mere mortals. So then what do we do? What do we make of this seeming death of hope? Channing Brown tells us that the death of hope is a possibility. She thinks And she knows from her own experience that for her, the death of hope gives way to a sadness that heals, to an anger that inspires, to a wisdom that empowers her so that the next time she can get up to work, pick up her pen, join a march, tell her story. The death of hope is painful and it's costly. Let's not look, let's not... Forget that. But what she says is that in the mourning, in the grieving, in the loss, there always arises a new clarity about the world, about the church, about ourselves, about God. You see for Channing Brown there is a difference in lowercase h hope. capital H, hope, right? Now, lowercase hope is this hope from the day to day that the conditions of our lives will improve. And sometimes they do. And sometimes they don't. Yet hope capital H is rooted in God's action in the world. It is the hope to which Jeremiah calls us and the hope to which we cling generation to generation. It is the hope that has allowed those who have gone before us resist and persist, and a hope which can, if we allow it, enliven and empower us to keep moving forward. And so when we confuse these two hopes though, that is when the problem arises, right? That's when we end up doing more harm than good. I mean, think for a moment About the last time you faced an impossible situation. An unfathomable loss. A heartbreaking defeat. I imagine that you had many well-meaning friends. Who told you it's going to be all right. Just hang in. Just have hope. Just have hope. As if hoping would heal your pain. This is lowercase h hope. When we confuse those, it becomes painful because it's hard in our day-to-day life when we are experiencing the suffering and we are experiencing the oppression, it is very hard for us to hope in that day-to-day lowercase h. And when pressed to do so, it can be harmful, particularly for those who face systemic injustice day in and day out. When wielded this way without caution or context, hope becomes cheap. It leads to apathy and complacency at best, despair and helplessness at worst. And so we must cast our eyes, our sight, our vision onto hope, capital H. Right? Womanist theologian and philosopher Sakina Young Skaggs, who also happens to be the pastor of Memorial Church at Stanford, points to the power of Afrofuturism to ground hope for the black community. She talks about this hope as a resistance, as joy. Right and it's found in in this genre of Afrofuturism I don't know if if you're familiar with this concept I bet if I said the movie Black Panther you'd be like oh I got it Wakanda forever that is Afrofuturism and indeed that's exactly what Afrofuturism is all too often hope is foreclosed by an imagination that has been limited by the dominant white culture. And so Afrofuturism is this cultural aesthetic and literary genre that centers the black experience in order to conjure an alternate future, right? So we know it popularly in Black Panther, but there is so much literature all around. Uh, Lovecraft Country is a new TV show that again, is part of that that same trajectory, I think of the works of Octavia Butler and N.K. Jemison. these ways that invite us to see the future through Black eyes and Black experience. You see, what this does is it calls into reality, HOPE, capital H, for the Black community. And, I would say, for those of us who witness it. You see, Afrofuturism allows us space to realign one's hope with the forces beyond our own present day moment. It tells us that there is so much more to come and points us time and time again to that which is greater than ourselves. The divine, yes, but also our communities, this communities, the diverse communities of which we are a part, our shared histories. Afrofuturism is capital H hope, concretized, embodied, made real for us. You see, in the ways that these films and these books do it, it's like a prophetic imagination that makes possible futures real, so that the present can be more livable for African descendant people who experience anti-black racism and white supremacy as normative, but also for us who get to glimpse the glimmer of joy as resistance in this beautiful future that has painted. Are folks familiar with what it feels like to see yourself represented as a hero? to see what it feels like to see a future in which your hope is centered. That's what Hope, capital H does. And it's at its best when we're able to draw from these different diverse traditions, when we bring them together. Cursed are those who trust in mere mortals. You see, the future is far beyond what we can imagine. Young Skaggs notes that this way of thinking about Afrofuturism, and I would say hope, capital H, in all of its ways, it flips the script on nihilism and the persistence of racism, and it fuels resistance and liberation, and it tells us all, all of us who witness it, that change is possible, and not just possible, but change is coming. Change is coming. Our sacred texts, both ancient and contemporary, are guides to help us navigate through life's disappointments and despair. It is true that if we rely on our own gumption and individual intentions to fix the world, we are going to fail. We have and we will. But we cannot allow the knowledge of our finitude to coerce us into cowardly complacency. Well, I tried my best, or it wasn't my intent. Nor can we allow our apathy and despair to settle in and change who we are and we're created to be. What's the point of even trying? No. No. Friends, we are called today and every day to resist this, to resist the hope, lowercase h, and to call ourselves into the reality of hope, capital H, calling us into what Channing Brown calls living in the shadow of hope. To allow our hope in mere mortals to die, we have to let go of that hope and allow our hope in the future toward which God calls us, that kingdom of peace and justice, which we sang so beautifully about just moments ago. Why, friends, that is the hope that we have to allow to live and to grow like that tree planted by the water. It is no coincidence that one of the most powerful songs of the civil rights movement draws on this very text. We shall not be moved. Did you know that that hymn that spiritual actually originated in the 19th century sang at revivalist camp meetings as a slave jubilee. We shall not be moved. And it is true that in the past, spirituals have been co-opted as a mere metaphor of heavenly kingdom, the sweet by and by that's to come. Imagine in those revivals, those people who were enslaved singing this song, We Shall Not Be Moved. It was a real, real, real part of who they were. The proclamation that we shall not be moved was not ever a solely pious reference to trust in God. It has always been a radical commitment to standing in the struggle no matter what disappointments or defeats you might face. Do what you will, take what you will, enslave us, jail us, no matter we shall not be moved. Do you know that song? If I was a singer, I would sing it for you, but I am not, and you would never invite me back. (laughs) We shall not be moved. We shall not be moved. When we are rooted and grounded like that tree planted by the water, friends, we cannot be moved. Because we have given ourselves to Hope, capital H. The question is not a matter of whether there is hope. There is. The question is where we will locate and place that hope. In mere mortals? No. In ourselves? No. (laughs) But in our communities, in the future that God has given to us, and the possibility of change, of a change that is coming in this vision of God's great kingdom of peace and justice, well, yes, capital H, HOPE, is where we find our hope. You see, this hope that we are called into is an active hope. It's a mutual hope. It requires a covenant between God and us. This. Is the hope. After all isn't Jeremiah the prophet who proclaims even in exile after the Babylonian exile comes that God has prepared a future for us. That God has a plan for us. For surely I know the plans I have for you. Plans for your welfare and not for your harm. Plans says Jeremiah to give you a future with hope. May you be rooted and grounded in that hope this day and all days. Amen.
1: Good morning, everybody. It's good to see you this morning, and I'd like to welcome those who are joining us on Zoom today, and uh, especially um, for those of you who are here, we're so glad to see you, and this morning as we share this beautiful air wherever we are on this gorgeous warm day in Portola Valley. I am hoping that our spirits are lifted into the presence of God as we worship and sing and pray and consider together. I'm Jenny, and I'm the pastor here at Valley Presbyterian, and um, so glad you're here. A few announcements as we get going. Uh, in, on February 23rd, which is a week from Wednesday, we're excited to be a part of the broader invitation from Stanford to be at Memorial Church for the Beyonce Mass. And so there's information right popping up on our website. So if you go to our website, you can register there. And this morning, uh, the Reverend Dr. Tiffany Steinwert, who's the Dean of Spiritual and religious life at Stanford is joining us, and she's been heading up that effort. And we had a conversation two years ago <laughs> that kind of began that journey. So it's really exciting to see that after the last two years, this is becoming a reality. So, uh, so please plan to be there, or if you know others who would be interested, please invite them. We're really excited about being a part of this event and next sunday um, in preparation for that as well the black girl magic group who will be offering the music at the beyonce mass will be here leading our worship in on sunday morning so it's going to be a great um great morning i'm really excited about what they're bringing Um, i'm going to be preaching on bell hooks and they're bringing some music from the color purple and it's going to be just a really beautiful morning so we hope you'll join us that day and then we're so happy that this week we were finally able to launch our invitation to our women's retreat in mid-march and so uh, you know as we've been waiting to see how all the protocols and the surge would play out we've decided to do a women's retreat that's going to begin here we're going to take a trip on saturday to the beach together we're going to come back and have dinner and maybe some dancing at the Alpine Hills Tennis and Country Club. So really looking forward to this weekend journey together where we'll sleep in our own beds, but we will get to flex with the weather and people's comfort levels and wherever we're at with the virus to make sure we have a really wonderful weekend together. So this is open to all of the women in our congregation. And if you know other friends that you think would like to be there, please invite them as well so uh there's information in your bulletin on that and information on the website so um, again please feel free to share as we begin this morning let us take a deep breath together praying that the holy spirit will come and be with us to fill our hearts to allow us to be present to the spirit as we worship this morning Let us lift our hearts together.
3: Come. Come into the place where God listens.
0: Where you need no money, no status, no fine clothes.
3: Come as you are. We
0: come come as as we we are. are. Broken, whole, sick, well, satisfied, or with deep needs.
3: Come to sing. Come to cry come to hear come to see come and be ready or come to be made ready
2: we
3: We are are here here. god God is is here here too too. so there's a little insert in your bulletin and uh feel free to sing along with us uh, especially if you brought your magnifying glass. Uh, we are going to sing um, verses 1, 2, and 4 in English. And you get a second try on this a little bit later.
4: Good morning, my name is Barb, and I am part of the Children's Faith Formation Team here at Valley Presbyterian Church. Each week during worship, we take time to intentionally bless our much-loved VPC children. This month, we are focused on the flourishing of all. Who comes to mind when you imagine our base camp children flourishing? Are there children in our church? your family or the wider world who you feel need resilience courage hope or support to flourish right now please hold each of them in your heart as i say this blessing children may you know you are loved just as god created you arm in arm may we all grow in love together and show love to the world. Jenny Unash, Ijo, and I invite the children to join us outdoors for some parachute games, connection, and reflection. Thank you. Our
1: liturgies this morning are coming from the Liturgies from Below, a beautiful book by Claudia Carvalges, and uh, I'd like to read our confession this morning, a confession that is a corporate confession for us as a church and the ways over generations we have failed to be the church of God, to embody that song that we just sang where we truly our faith leads us to fight for the world so let us pray together loving parent god forgive us for the many times that we cannot see and feel we pray for all those who cannot pray and for those who don't know how to pray we pray for those who do not believe We also pray for our unbelief. Forgive us for the many times we have depended so much on praying that we forgot to actualize our prayer. We pray, O God, for the unheard voices in our pews, inside our churches and places of worship, our communities and homes. May those voices be heard. Instead of praying for them, I pray for us, who treated them unjustly, by not allowing them to participate in our ministries. Help us, O God, to see them as you have created them. Just take a moment to extend your heart to those who you know have been excluded from The life of faith in so many places to confess the ways that we have overtly or by our silence not extended wide arms of welcome. We remember the words of the Apostle Paul saying, In Christ, there is no Jew or Greek. The dividing walls of hostility between us have been broken down. And as those walls have been broken down, so may they be broken down within us. And may we know the God who forgives us, and gives us the courage to extend our arms to this world. And would you please respond with me friends believe this good news in jesus christ we are forgiven and free and the next few moments we'll be passing the peace with each other if you're online uh, you're welcome to to greet each other there and for those here please turn and give an elbow or a fist bump or just a hand over your heart as we um pass the peace of Christ the peace of Christ be with you and also, and also
5: with you no yeah
1: hola
3: peace be with us happy, <percent. long. laughs> hey, hey, hey. uh, happy i i you seeing Oh, you look so beautiful today.
1: You're yeah, wearing a crown. I love this. That's so pretty.
6: <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. That <laughs> for, for holiday, happy Valentine's Day for both Happy I. Valentine's
2: Day.
5: <laughs> yeah, for everybody, Valentine's Day. I'm by myself,
2: so I make myself happy <laughs> 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 Good morning, one and all. Yes.
3: Good morning. Where's morning. 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 Morning, 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 Daryl. Happy morning. Valentine's Day. Happy Super Bowl. Happy Sunday. Hi.
5: <laughs>
3: <laughs> uh, ah, oh, Rita and Bobby and Charlie
5: and, so and John. Great it's to see you all. Guys. It's Brando. great to see everybody.
3: I have some great news for everybody. Okay, What's folks, that? What's that? here's that second yes. chance. Yes. We're going to sing the first verse in Spanish Bobby, what did you say and repeat anybody? the refrain in Spanish. So
1: you put it in. The-
3: Be, bold.
1: Be bold. Or sing la, la, la. Mas <laughs> fuerte.
3: Shall I may- break my news to you? Hurry, Bobby. I don't know they're may to the And inside que hoy
6: proclamamos Es justicia, es paz para el mundo El mensaje que hoy proclamamos Es justicia, es paz para el mundo.
0: from Jeremiah 17:5 through 10. Thus says the Lord, cursed are those who trust in mere mortals and make mere flesh their strength, whose hearts turn away from the Lord. They shall be like a shrub in the desert and shall not see when relief comes. They shall live in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. Blessed are those who trust in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. They shall be like a tree planted by water, sending out its roots by the stream. It shall not fear when heat comes and its leaves shall stay green. In the year of drought, it is not anxious and it does not cease to bear fruit. The heart is devious above all else. It is perverse. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, test the mind and search the heart to give to all according to their ways, according to the fruit of their doings. For the word of God among us, for the word of God in Scripture, For the word of God among us, for the word of God within us, thanks be to God.
1: In the the Bible, sorry about that. I'll have a word with the editors next time. (laughs) Uh, Some of you know I'm a part of a clergy group that um, is... Uh, just been such a source of support for me in these last few years we get together and talk about preaching about once a year and uh, in our gathering i think in 2020 as i was getting out of uh, the car to go home to the airport my friend trace said hey i think you would really get along with my friend tiffany she's the new dean at stanford and let me connect you and that was how we met and we had plans to have coffee in march 2020 and That ended up being a Zoom meeting, and uh, so we finally got to meet today, which I'm so thrilled about. And uh, Tiffany uh, is mom of two boys, and she's been here at Stanford as the dean uh, since 2019. So you've had an interesting two-thirds of your time here. And uh, so one thing I really appreciated in our first conversation is I think this shared heart that our faith is both internal and external, that it's not just about justice and what we do in the world, but it's all about also about who we are and how we're being formed. And that was something I really heard from you the first time we spoke, and I just so appreciate um, what you bring to this world and the many places you are, and we're just so honored to have you with us this morning. So would you join me in welcoming Reverend Dr. Tiffany Steinwart? <clears throat>
2: It is really a privilege and an honor to be in this space. Um, My role is as Dean for Religious and Spiritual Life, and it is not actually a preaching role. It is not a Christian role. It is a role to uh, facilitate and steward, guide, and nurture moral, ethical, religious, and spiritual life across campus. And so when I get to put on my clergy collar, literally and figuratively, and be in this space, it is an honor. So thank you for welcoming me so graciously. Will you pray with me? Gracious and loving God, we ask in this hour that you be in this space with us, that we perceive your presence around us, both in the words that we read and that we hear, the words that we speak and the words that we understand, the words that transform our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hopelessness and I have become good friends. In the difficult days that we are now facing, friends, hope feels hard to find, doesn't it? I wrote a litany of all of the places where hope was hard to find, and it made my heart feel a little tighter even still. I mean, think about it. It's Political polarization widens, and the specter of pandemic continues to shadow our lives. Two years, my goodness, two years it has been since we've actually been able to meet. As our climate changes catastrophically, and communities all around the world are drawing tighter and tighter boundaries, we are on the precipice of war in many places. As racial and economic injustice grows, even more pernicious and sexism and misogyny seem even more present in our daily lives. As the light of our collective future seems dimmer and dimmer. Oh my goodness. I mean, really, to, to come to you today and be asked to preach on hope? Hope, just any talk of hope today really and truly rings hollow. It does. It does. So hopelessness and I have become good friends. You feel like that sometimes? I do. But these are not my words. That quote is not my quote. The quote actually comes from activist and author Austin Channing Brown. In the final chapter of her book, I'm Still Here, Black Dignity in a World Made for Whiteness, Channing Brown wrestles with this notion of hope, particularly in Christian communities, and in particular in white Christian communities. These are the communities that I know best, the communities that I have served now for over two decades. But Channing Brown, as a black woman who spent Most of her career working in predominantly white spaces understood and knew that space differently than I do as a white woman. Her experience was different. She talks about in that book, what it feels like to be surrounded by well-intentioned, well-meaning folks like myself, who more often than not simply don't get it. I encourage you, if you have not yet read that book, I encourage you to go and buy it. Buy it from her website, support her work, because it gives us a view that we often are not able to have on ourselves. And so I highly, highly encourage you, go buy her book. For Channing Brown, you see this hopelessness that had become her friend. This hopelessness arose as a result of her encounters and disappointments with white Christian communities. It is in these communities, like my community from which I come in the United Methodist Church, and maybe somewhat like your communities, that we tend to value love above all else, right? I mean, it's just, it's really great. I mean, it's the core of who we are, who doesn't like love. And so when hard things come and we are asked to face hard things, what is the answer? Love, right? It's like children, it's time and children's messages. They know that the answer is always Jesus, right? When the pastor asks them whatever the answer, they are always like, oh, the answer is Jesus, right? Um, Except for my child who answered his holiness, the Dalai Lama. But for the most part, We in our Christian communities, when confronted with something hard, we answer love. Because it really and truly, that's the heart of the gospel that we preach, isn't it? But we do it in ways that become problematic. Channing Brown says that sometimes when we talk of love in this way, it can dissolve into what she says is a demand for grace or niceness or endless patience, right? That gradualism that King talked about, right? It's phrases sometimes that we use when we're, we see hard things and we just don't know how to talk about them. And so we say things like, well, if we could just learn to love one another, that's true. Or we say, love trumps hate. And that's also true. But what happens is that this language of love, if we're not careful, softens that clarion call to justice that we just sang about in order to make it more palatable, more comfortable, right? We wanna talk about love. We don't really wanna talk about white supremacy, but we have to, because if we don't, if we continue to mask the real problems of our world with these more palatable concepts of love and grace and patience, then we end up masking the fierce urgency of the day and minimizing the pain of those who face it day in and day out. Channing Brown talks about it as sometimes that we ask for these bite-sized educational opportunities that really don't transform anything. It makes us feel good because we've done it, but actually it hasn't transformed the experience of people of color in our midst. And it is in that context that I hear the words of Jeremiah ringing so true, cursed are those who trust in mere mortals. Cursed are those who trust in mere mortals. In many ways, Channing Brown's reflections on hope read as a modern-day companion to Jeremiah. Both prophetic reimaginings, trouble, contemporary conceit, and complacency, born of a false pride in ourselves. The reading this morning from Jeremiah was written between two periods in the the time of the Israelites. It was written between the failure of King Josiah's uh, religious reforms, They thought that they could change things by changing the laws, by writing different laws. They could change everything. The legislature, the Congress, the king, he was going to solve all their problems. Did not work. Failed. And this prophecy comes after that failure of this legislative reform, but before the Babylonian exile. The people had had a hope that this change in legislation, this change in policy, if you just do the right things, right? If you change how you live, how you order your life, then, well, things would be okay, right? But you can't legislate morality or justice, really. It helps. Let's let's not say it doesn't help. It helps, but it didn't work. And the community... They were still struggling. And on top of that, there were these whispers of war and an encroaching neighbor that was becoming more and more aggressive. It didn't look good for the people of Israel. The king tried, the people tried, they tried their best, but they failed time and time again. They failed to get it right. Indeed, Cursed are those who trust in mere mortals. What does it mean when the plans we make and the visions we dream fail to materialize? Has that ever happened to you or in your communities? What happens when our ways of repairing the world simply don't work? Here, Jeremiah, reminiscent of other wisdom literature, reflects on the ambivalence of human nature and how God responds to it. The vivid illustrations that we heard read so beautifully just a moment ago, they're drawn from nature and they clearly contrast the effects of these two lifestyles of where you place your hope, where you place your trust, right? Those who turn from God, who put their trust in mere mortals and themselves in that pull-yourself-up-by-your-bootstraps kind of way that we here in America love so much. Well, what happens to them? They become stunted, hopeless, barren, and lonely. But those who put their trust in something beyond themselves in God... Why they are well-nourished and fruitful and able to withstand adversity. Now, I have a confession to make to you. When I first turned toward this text again, knowing that I would be preaching on it this Sunday, I was struck about how much I did not actually remember about the text. Now, this image of the tree planted by the water, I cannot tell you how many times I have preached on it. I love it. I sing it. It is so beautiful. When adversity comes, I say, folks, we are going to be like trees planted by the water, right? It is a go-to scripture for me. I was so excited that it's actually lectionary this week. Well, here's the thing. When I went back to the text, I had completely forgotten about the tree that withers. I had completely forgotten about the tree that withers it was as if I had never read it before and the lectionary well I mean I've been a preacher over 20 years at lectionaries every three years I have had to read it a lot and I simply had put it out of mind why I mean, maybe it's because I'm a relentless idealist about human potential. Maybe it's because I want to believe so much in the power that we possess to do anything. After all, so much of our cultural Christianity preaches a message of prosperity, doesn't it? Now, we in mainline churches look at prosperity gospels and other Christian traditions and we say, oh, that's not so good but really and truly in mainline Christianity, we just talk about prosperity in a different way. We talk about it as this move toward inevitable social progress, right? Same thing, as if we can bring it about ourselves. But maybe, maybe I had forgotten those verses Because it's simply too hard, too difficult to confront our own places of failure. And God knows I have failed. Maybe it's easier to cling on to the hope of success than face the pain of failure. It's far more soothing to sing about the tree planted by the water than to witness the withering. The reality is that when we do that, we allow hope to die. Hope dies when we do not recognize our human failures and finitude, right? When we believe that all things are possible through Christ, Usually what we're saying is all things are possible if we do it and get a committee and volunteer and make ourselves like, make it happen. But what happens when we believe all things are possible, we try our hardest and it doesn't work? What happens to our hope then? That's when it's easy to lose hope, isn't it? Channing Brown writes that the persistence of racism in America does not lay the best fertilizer for hope to grow in. Recounting the thousands of ways in which hope died, for her she lays bare the failures of good intentions to dismantle systemic justice. She wrote, I hoped a friend would get it, but hope died. I hoped an organization really wanted change, but hope died. I hoped racist policies would change, but hope died. I hoped history would stop repeating itself, but hope died. I hoped things would be better for my children, but hope died. Cursed are those who trust in mere mortals. This litany of the death of hope is hard to hear. I'm sure it's not why you came to church this Sunday. Uh, I apologize to you, Jenny. Uh, But here's the thing. I'm not saying anything here today that we don't already know. Because we've already experienced this, haven't we? In our own lives and in so many ways. I mean, friends, for better or for worse, we are all profoundly human. And that means that we are finite, limited, and often broken. My students at Stanford don't like to hear me say this, but friends, we are going to fail. We are, it's just how we were created to be. And that's not bad. I mean, deep in our bones, we know this, whether we have been the ones who've been disappointed, the ones who disappointed. Cursed are those who trust in mere mortals. So then what do we do? What do we make of this seeming death of hope? Channing Brown tells us that the death of hope is a possibility. She thinks And she knows from her own experience that for her, the death of hope gives way to a sadness that heals. To an anger that inspires. To a wisdom that empowers her so that the next time she can get up to work, pick up her pen, join a march, tell her story. The death of hope is painful. And it's costly. Let's not look. Let's not... Forget that. But what she says is that in the mourning, in the grieving, in the loss, there always arises a new clarity about the world, about the church, about ourselves, about God. You see for Channing Brown there is a difference in lowercase h hope and capital h hope right now lowercase hope is this hope from the day to day that the conditions of our lives will improve and sometimes they do and sometimes they don't yet hope capital h is rooted in god's action in the world it is the hope to which jeremiah calls us and the hope to which we cling generation to generation It is the hope that has allowed those who have gone before us resist and persist, and a hope which can, if we allow it, enliven and empower us to keep moving forward. And so when we confuse these two hopes, though, that is when the problem arises, right? That's when we end up doing more harm than good. I mean, think for a moment about the last time you faced an impossible situation, an unfathomable loss, a heartbreaking defeat. I imagine that you had many well-meaning friends who told you it's gonna be all right. Just hang in, just have hope, just have hope, as if hoping would heal your pain. This is lowercase h hope. When we confuse those, it becomes painful because it's hard in our day-to-day life when we are experiencing the suffering and we are experiencing the oppression. It is very hard for us to hope in that day-to-day lowercase h. And when pressed to do so, it can be harmful, particularly for those who face systemic injustice day in and day out. When wielded this way without caution or context, hope becomes cheap. It leads to apathy and complacency at best, despair and helplessness at worst. And so we must cast our eyes, our sight, our vision onto hope, capital H. Right? Womanist theologian and philosopher Sakina Young-Skaggs, who also happens to be the pastor of Memorial Church at Stanford, points to the power of Afrofuturism to ground hope for the black community. She talks about this hope as a resistance, as joy right? And it's found in in this genre of Afrofuturism. I don't know if, if you're familiar with this concept. I bet if I said the movie Black Panther, you'd be like, oh, I got it. Wakanda forever. That is Afrofuturism. And indeed, that's exactly what Afrofuturism is. All too often, hope is foreclosed by an imagination that has been limited by the dominant white culture. And so Afrofuturism is this cultural aesthetic and literary genre that centers the black experience in order to conjure an alternate future, right? So we know it popularly in Black Panther, but there is so much literature all around. Uh, Lovecraft Country is a new TV show that again, is part of that, that same trajectory, I think of the works of Octavia Butler and N.K. Jemison, these ways that invite us to see the future through black eyes and black experience. You see, what this does is it calls into reality, HOPE, capital H, for the black community. And I would say, for those of us who witness it. You see Afrofuturism allows us space to realign one's hope with the forces beyond our own present-day moment. It tells us that there is so much more to come and points us time and time again to that which is greater than ourselves. The divine, yes, but also our communities, this communities, the diverse communities of which we are a part, our shared histories. Afrofuturism is capital H, hope, concretized, embodied, made real for us. You see, in the ways that these films and these books do it, it's like a prophetic imagination that makes possible futures real so that the present can be more livable for African descendant people who experience anti-Black racism and white supremacy as normative, but also for us who get to glimpse the glimmer of joy as resistance in this beautiful future that has painted. Are folks familiar with what it feels like to see yourself represented as a hero? to see what it feels like to see a future in which your hope is centered. That's what Hope, capital H does. And it's at its best when we're able to draw from these different diverse traditions, when we bring them together. Cursed are those who trust in mere mortals. You see, the future is far beyond what we can imagine. Young Skaggs notes that this way of thinking about Afrofuturism, and I would say hope, capital H, in all of its ways, it flips the script on nihilism and the persistence of racism, and it fuels resistance and liberation, and it tells us all, all of us who witness it, that change is possible and not just possible, but change is coming. Change is coming. Our sacred texts, both ancient and contemporary, are guides to help us navigate through life's disappointments and despair. It is true that if we rely on our own gumption and individual intentions to fix the world, we are going to fail. We have and we will. But we cannot allow the knowledge of our finitude to coerce us into cowardly complacency. Well, I tried my best or it wasn't my intent. Nor can we allow our apathy and despair to settle in and change who we are and were created to be. What's the point of even trying? No. Friends, we are called today and every day to resist this, to resist the hope, lowercase h, and to call ourselves into the reality of hope, capital H, calling us, into what Channing Brown calls living in the shadow of hope. To allow our hope in mere mortals to die, we have to let go of that hope and allow our hope in the future toward which God calls us, that kingdom of peace and justice, which we sang so beautifully about just moments ago. Why, friends, that is the hope that we have to allow to live and to grow like that tree planted by the water. It is no coincidence that one of the most powerful songs of the civil rights movement draws on this very text. We shall not be moved. Did you know that that hymn, that spiritual, actually originated in the 19th century, sang at revivalist camp meetings as a slave jubilee? We shall not be moved. And it is true that in the past, spirituals have been co-opted as a mere metaphor of heavenly kingdom, the sweet by and by that's to come, imagine in those revivals, those people who were enslaved singing this song, We Shall Not Be Moved. It was a real, real, real part of who they were. The proclamation that we shall not be moved was not ever a solely pious reference to trust in God. It has always been a radical commitment to standing in the struggle no matter what disappointments or defeats you might face. Do what you will, take what you will, enslave us, jail us, no matter we shall not be moved. Do you know that song? If I was a singer, I would sing it for you, but I am not, and you would never invite me back. We shall not be moved. We shall not be moved. When we are rooted and grounded like that tree planted by the water, friends, we cannot be moved. Because we have given ourselves to Hope, capital H. The question is not a matter of whether there is hope. There is. The question is where we will locate and place that hope. In mere mortals? No. In ourselves? No. (laughs) But in our communities, in the future that God has given to us, And the possibility of change, of a change that is coming in this vision of God's great kingdom of peace and justice, well, yes. Capital H, hope, is where we find our hope. You see, this hope that we are called into is an active hope. It's a mutual hope. It requires a covenant between God and us. This is the hope. After all, isn't Jeremiah the prophet who proclaims even in exile after the Babylonian exile comes, that God has prepared a future for us. That God has a plan for us. For surely I know the plans I have for you. Plans for your welfare and not for your harm. Plans says Jeremiah, to give you a future with hope. May you be rooted and grounded in that hope this day and all days. Amen.
3: Please stand and join us as you are able in our song of response, Heaven Shall Not Wait, which is number 773 in your bulletin, and we will sing verses 1, 2, and 4.
1: Please be seated. I'm not sure we could have asked for a more beautiful hymn after that beautiful sermon. So thank you, Tiffany, for renewing our hope in capital H, hope. (laughs) Let us pray together. Oh God, we come to you this morning. Many of us feeling like that withered tree, wondering when our roots will hit water, longing for the sustenance that we need to keep moving forward. And whatever our personal struggles, we know our world is continuing to struggle. And so we pray for those places where hope is dim, and maybe even feels dead. We pray particularly this morning for the conflicts in our world, thinking of Russia and the Ukraine, for those who are seeking to bring peace there, for those living under the threat of war. We pray for the places in our world where the pandemic continues to rage in another flow. And even as we watch it ebb here, we still continue to hold our breath, not sure what to hope for in the future. We pray for those who are under the weight of crushing loss, those who have lost those they love have lost their health have lost their hope may they know deep down the flow of your love in their lives and we pray for our community that we would gather together to be a place that extends hope. That in this world we would be a place where the love of Jesus Christ is real and where we are learning to love each other and love our world in real and tangible ways that make a difference. We thank you for Jesus, for the ways that we can follow his footsteps into this world. Even as we pray the prayer he taught us, saying, our God who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. We invite you to give to that hope um, as this next song is sung. You can give online or in the back as you leave today may we together be a people of hope and extend the love of Jesus Christ into the world.
3: walk in peace walk in beauty
6: walk in the spirit of god and when you walk christ is there
0: And join us in the song of sending. Hymn 450, Be Thou My Vision.
2: Go forth this day, rooted like trees planted by the water, in that hope, capital H hope, that draws us toward God's vision of peace and justice for ourselves and for the world in which we live. And may you go in the peace that passes all understanding. In the name of God, our Creator, Jesus, our Redeemer and the Spirit, our sustainer. And the people of God said, Amen.